Buzz Killington wants to raise your taxes. Will you let him? He's taking your jobs and sending them offshore to other hives. He also helped reduce hive safety and undermine the wax levy on Hive 36752. Supports negative tariffs on nectar transport and vetoed the reforms on pollen subsidies and drone health insurance. Vote for Buzz will mean disaster for our hive. This election, vote no to Proposition W7 and save our colony from drone exploitation and offshore royal jelly production. Written and authorised by Dave Bumble on behalf of the United Worker and Drones Alliance. By the way, I really enjoy collecting pollen and buzzing and shit. Welcome to Honey, I'm Home, the first Australian podcast for anyone who wants to get into beekeeping. My name is Jai Smith and joining me as always is Ben the Beekeeper Jury. Today we talk all about the Queen Bee with Liz Frost. Yeah, my name's Liz Frost. I work for New South Wales Department of Primary Industries as a honeybee technical specialist and that covers a whole range of things, research development, policy advice related to the beekeeping industry. That's that's about it. Yeah. Not chill. That sounds like a lot. It's very, very technical. It, yeah. That's what I picked up on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what does a typical day for you look like? So a typical day could involve uh, fielding phone calls from commercial beekeepers around uh, topics such as floral resources, queen breeding, uh, at, you know, the worst of the scale could be related to pesticide kills. And I'm working on a main project, queen bee breeding for uh, the Australian industry. I'm not going to say what is a queen bee, but why are queen bees so important? <laughs> so a queen bee, she's the one uh, essentially reproductive female in the colony. So she has all the genetics of that colony. She's the reason that colony behaves the way it is, produces as much honey as it does, in addition to beekeepers' decisions on you know, where to place the hive, if it's got enough flora around to actually access nectar to produce honey. And she's a really important component of the hive. Some would argue the most important individual in the hive because she lays all of the eggs. So she produces all the worker bees, those tens of thousands of worker bees in a healthy colony in the spring and summer that are collecting the nectar, ripening honey, uh, feeding, developing bees, and potentially stinging your neighbors if you choose a strain (laughs) of bee that's aggressive or perhaps place the hive in an inappropriate orientation, all these things we have to consider in addition to where our bee stock is coming from. And so when I was thinking of queen bees, I instantly thought of the movie Aliens and then I thought yeah. of the queen alien. Yep. Is that kind of the same thing? I haven't seen Aliens. <laughs> you haven't seen Aliens? Oh, God, no, the reference size. I'm like, I know I'm American, but... Oh, God, it's a great movie. Anyway. No, that's just slightly different, yeah. Yeah, slightly a lot smaller. Yeah. So what do they look like? <laughs> And how Because you, you've brought books in, which is always really practical on a podcast, which is good. What does a queen bee look like? Yeah, so a queen bee, um, she's slightly longer than the worker bee. She, Because she lays all the eggs in the colony, she has a slightly uh, larger abdomen. So think of that. I don't know if Australian kids have this song, but when you learn about insects... You have to sing this head, thorax, and abdomen to learn the three parts. No, no, no unique to I'll America. Be back tomorrow yeah, to school, yeah. yeah. Anyways, she lays all the eggs, so she's slightly larger, and she can range in color uh, from a golden um, yellow to a black bead. And that color you can select for 
and it isn't tied to temperament. Some beekeepers say, oh, this this color of bee is more aggressive or not aggressive. But honestly, you can select for any of those traits and increase them. Or if you don't select for any of those traits, say you're not recording for honey production, those traits will drop off. Right. So, I mean, Liz, one of the things that you were saying there is around the, the color. I wanted to unpack this because I've got a number of hives and my queens are quite different in their colors, but I've got a lot of similar temperaments between them. The, the hives that I have, uh, my number one, I guess, concern is that they are a calm hive. You're saying the colours don't have anything to do with that, but how do you know, is there a way of knowing that when you're purchasing bees, um, how would you go about making sure that the attributes the queen has want to line up with what we're after? For me, honey production's a, a bonus and, you know, it's a, a sweet bonus, but at the same time I'd much rather a, a calm calm hive that's maybe less uh, assertive in patrolling its area than others? Is there, there an easy way of looking into that or is it just that you've got to trust the, the people who you're purchasing the bees through? Yeah, there's industry standards that these are characteristics of a hive that we accept and we find desirable, such as good temperament, commercial beekeeper, um, and a new recreational beekeeper alike. They don't want a bee that's out for blood, you know, yeah. they don't want to be that's chasing you no. down the paddock or down the road, because if you're at a commercial level, you're not going to keep employees. It's going to be yeah. di- more difficult to work. It's going to take you longer to do those management tasks, harvesting honey and that kind of thing. Yeah. So beekeepers are through the year, uh, they're tracking temperament and that's kind of a second nature one, uh, because it is so disruptive to work with an aggressive hive. So they make sure they replace a queen that has workers that are aggressive um, with a calmer kind of tempered queen. Um, And with honey production, you know, the majority of income for Australian beekeepers is from honey production. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's a trait that they're really keen to maintain. maintain, So look, just unpacking that a little bit more, if uh, a beekeeper at home has purchased, uh, you know, a nucleus colony, uh, from a, a you know a registered beekeeper, uh, the standard is that they're going to be able to to get a, a, a hive that has those traits. Is that the implication of having those standards across? Absolutely. So we've got a national honeybee industry body, the Australian Honeybee Industry Council, <laughs> and they've got uh, yep. national uh, honeybee industry best practice guidelines yep. in the Australian environment. So those just that document has handy tips about how you should transport hives, um, how to be a good neighbor for people that don't have hives, uh, considering you know health health risks. You know bees sting people, and some people have anaphylactic severe reactions. So those documents are out there and accessible. Yep, yep. and accessible to to all. You can download them free online. Um. Now, here's something that, Jai, you might not be aware of. Obviously, when a, a queen does her nuptial flight or her, her breeding flight. Her nuptial flight. I think, is that the right terminology? Is that something that <laughs> that's such a Yeah, that's a phrase that's used so, for the romantic. mating flight. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I guess it is. It's kind of survival of the, the fittest in terms of drones. But she comes back and she's received, you know, uh, that flight. Her um, her then, her, her main or her primary ability in laying eggs is... Oh, so wait, you really mean a nuptial flight? Yeah, I do mean a nuptial flight. So what does this flight. mean? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. Liz, you, you're 
So uh, let's. Is, we're talking about B sex. That's right. Yeah. Let's get into the yeah. nitty gritty of honey bees reproduction. Certainly, that this is where it comes from. So, how does this work? How does a so, bee reproduce? Uh, honey bee reproductive biology uh, has evolved uh, so that when she goes on her mating flight, uh, an adult queen bee, about seven days or or so after emergence as an adult from her queen cell in this particular, um, particularly shaped cell in the honeycomb, she emerges and the worker bees stimulate her to go out on this mating flight pending weather and so it's, conditions. So it's the worker bees that are telling her to get out there that we need you to... You she, yeah, she needs to rece- re- reach sexual maturity before okay. she goes out on these flights and then her pheromones, these chemical cues that she puts off, um, so attract drones. <laughs> yes. So she flies out to these areas known as drone congregation areas and the males will find her there. So, yeah. yeah. If this, <laughs> if the season is, um, you know, if all the, the conditions right. Yeah. are right. So it, there's no high winds. Yeah. There's no, uh, bee eating birds. This is the bird going to pick her off. Um, and there's actually drones available. So, Beekeepers can single, single bees. Yep, yeah. that's it. Single bees. Those those drones have got a big job. What, yeah. What about the height? I've heard a couple of different um, bits of information. Generally, those drone congregation areas are they like a, a long way up in the the? It's not something you can see from the ground, or is it? Um, it's something you could see from the ground. It all, I suppose, it all depends on stocking rate. Okay. So, for example, where you've got hundreds of nucleus colonies specifically for queen mating in California where there's high densities yeah. of uh, these small nucleus colonies in their mating apiaries and drones as well, you'll see mating right in that apiary. But yeah. um, in a more, sorry, a less densely stocked you area, notice. you possibly wouldn't notice it. Plus it's at um, you know, a time of day a beekeeper might be uh, doing some doing other tasks. So usually it's in the later afternoon. Yeah. What about um? Are they the same? Like I know that we, we're probably going off a little bit on a tangent, but what are they the same areas? That, like this areas with a drone congregation is that the same areas over time? Like correct. So there are the some areas? static areas uh, where drones will fly year after year. Sydney University Oval is one of those areas, yeah. um, and I should say they can. There's pop-up drone congregation areas as well. Yep. It all depends on stocking rings. So if you're yep. a queen brooder and you establish a new mating apiary, uh, drones will come to that area. Okay. Okay. So it's not like um, there's only so many nightclubs for these for these <laughs> meetups that <laughs> yeah. happen. Yeah. They're very adaptable. Very so, adaptable. So anyway, back after B-sex now that we've got <laughs> out of the way. So what were you talking about the, the after the nuptial flight? Yeah. So one or t- it, it doesn't always happen only on one flight. It's a, it's a couple of couple of day process. Yes, yeah, so it, it varies. With beekeeping, there's a lot of uh, questions that the answer is it depends, and yeah. this is one of them. So if, for example, the weather is inclement, you've got a week of rain, she will not be able to go out on a mating flight. And if there's a day of nice sun um, and warm temperatures, she might uh, mate with as many drones as she needs, she needs on that one day. On that one day. Yeah. And she'll store that uh, sperm for her whole life in a specific sperm storage organ. So yeah. she houses oh, really? that and she fertilizes eggs or not. She mm-hmm. decides whether to withhold um, that and create egg. a drone unfertilized egg or to fertilize an egg and yield a worker bee, a female bee. Um, 
I'm a little bit interested in what you said earlier. You said that you're involved in a queen breeding program. Do you want to unpack what that is and what, what the goals of that program are for, from your perspective? Yeah, so the Honeybee Genetic Improvement Program was lucky enough to receive a $1.6 million Commonwealth grant from this program called uh, Rural Research and Development for Profit. So that's looking at um, putting research monies into industries that are really valuable for Australia and need some help. So So the beekeeping industry is one of those because we've got uh, very few queen breeders that are actually collecting this production trait data in Um. order to make these selection choices to actually not just maintain honey production and temperament and disease resistance, but to increase it. Okay. So, so you are, in effect, within this program, you are helping um, identify those traits and yes. then trying to maximize them in those areas. Yeah? yeah, so we're looking to other livestock industries because bees are livestock, yeah. according to the Australian tax, <laughs> Taxation Office, yep. tax office. Yeah. And um, so... Mammalian livestock industries, such as the dairy industry, the pig industry. They've got this nailed down. They've um, been doing it for a while. The <laughs> sheep industry. Oh, my gosh. They're, I shouldn't say light years, but but they're substantially ahead of okay, us. Okay, so we can pick up on those cues and use them for our own good in honey. Absolutely. Industry. And in our case, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than those mammalian livestock industries because of the How do you control the uh, method of mating. So yeah. Yeah. control of mating either happens through geographic isolation ah. or through um, timing, which is the tricky one, or through artificial insemination, just like other livestock industries. Yeah. yeah. And in your program, is it a mix of those things or are you finding that you're having more success in artificial insemination or, you know, the geographic isolation? I'd imagine some faraway island, you take the drones you want, you take the queen bees you want. And you let nature take its call? So we've got stakeholders in the program representative of each of those methods. So the longest running bee breeding program in Australia is in WA, and they use Rottnest Island as a geographic isolation location for mating all of their brooder queens. We work with uh, the Horners in the central west of New South Wales, and they uh, use timing to isolate kind of the mating Meeting clouds, the drones that they use. I think I've seen this. This is this is the one where he releases them on like a, a train. Yes. So Flora Glen Apiers of Ralston, New South Wales, uh, they used to geographically isolate, isolate mate out on the Hay Plains. Yeah. And then one one year coming driving home, Sonia Horner, the matriarch, said, Oh, why don't we just build a train track? Yeah. And really? uh so they- Joe and the family all built that yeah so you'll have to i mean we can link this in with the podcast but essentially they they keep their bees um within uh you know a closed up area and then uh there's a a very precise timing around when they let them loose but the most effective way that they found to get them out and open all at the same time was to use like it's like a mini little train track they they like how big is talking? Like like Walker Waterworks. You won't even know that reference. Like um, <laughs> like a tiny train track. Like I think they've got like two hundred and forty nukes on the, yeah. on like the train track. Like yeah, kind of like yeah. they look like the train tracks that yeah. you would sit a you know Frankie on. Yeah, like a, a you know one year old, two year old yeah. to go around in a loop. Yeah, yeah. got, got the visual. Sure. Yeah. Really, that's cool. Yeah. So, like, when you're first getting into this, what are the things that, you know, somebody like me really needs to know about, you know, getting a queen? Like, what, what does it take? What does it involve? And what am yeah. I looking for? 
I would say there won't be many pitfalls in terms of buying a nucleus colony you do or a package of bees. So Do, do nu- we have packages in Australia? Can we purchase packages? Buckets? Yep. Absolutely. This is a bit of a tough year uh, for buying nukes, packages, and queens uh, because we had uh, drought last year and then widespread drought this year. And with low rainfall, conditions were such over winter that a lot of queen brooders started their season late, about a month late in some cases in New South Wales. Um, So access has been an issue. And that's another reason for this uh, Honeybee Genetic Improvement Program because we have so few queen brooders nationally. Yeah that access is a is a major issue yeah so if you have a need for buying a few hundreds of queens at a time you'll absolutely be ordering the year ahead and if the season is poor then you may be delayed in terms of your order yeah to to help you visualize what a package is it's essentially a a box of bees you know how we talked about a nucleus being like a small family with the frames and it comes preloaded ready to go and a package is a, a shaken box of bees with a queen still in a cage typically yeah mm-hmm. and the bees have to work to release the queen and then you install them in your own hive right, at home. Right. So, so I, I didn't realize it was something it's definitely not something that I have experience with but it's uh probably am I right in saying more prevalent in like America and other countries where they often ship packages of bees across Yeah absolutely uh the industry in Australia in New South Wales for example we've we've got 860 or so registered beekeeping businesses Yeah and there's just, I suppose, a lot more hives than the U.S. and yeah. package bee market's a bit, a bit, bit different. It's just a bit different. But so from a yeah, new beekeeper perspective, I would say the more, I guess, more important things than focusing on the queen um, would be understanding the seasonal uh, management tasks mm-hmm. and the ability to identify the key pests and diseases, which you guys probably talked about with Rod Burke and Mark Page. We did. We did. Um there's one other way that I've talked about with Jai around uh, getting your own beehive up and running, and that would be collecting a swarm. But that sounds like a total lucky dip in terms of what you're getting in terms of a, a queen and you know the temperament and things. Yeah, I suppose catching a swarm, it's quite exhilarating. <laughs> and um, usually, you know, they'll be very productive once established. Sometimes they do leave the hive. Uh, it is a bit of a lucky dip, but I would say if you're in an urban area, most likely they're swarming from another managed or rather slightly uh, less, less managed. appropriately managed hive. Yeah. Uh, but that would have been derived from a nucleus colony or a package. Yeah. Right. At some point. So, sorry, just going back to the other question because I know we're on a bit of a tangent, which is fine. Uh, what am I looking for when I'm going out and thinking about setting up in terms of queen selection? I suppose there are not that many queen producers and breeders, so you probably just get what's available. Yeah. If I'm being yep. brutally honest. Yeah. And is there any is there any pointers? Anything I should be? Lo- I'd love a black one. I love everything. Yeah. Black, everything I own. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I picked up on that. Bee, that sounds insane. The, the the black headphones are giving it away. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose let's see. It depends on your producer. I'm most of the large scale producers. Their stock would do well anywhere in New South Wales. Where? What region are you in? Uh, like Southern Shire, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, your your golden Italian bees or Ooh. your black Carniolan bees, either of them would be suitable in that region. So really. the colors are generally associated with the the 
I guess, the origins of the, the bee. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so Honey almond being the blacker. and It's a type of bee from the old world. So where honeybees evolved, they're not native to Australia. So they're um, native to the Italy, continents of yeah. Africa, Europe, um, uh, Western oh, Asia, okay. Middle East. Yeah, yeah. So I know mine um, are Italian honeybees. Oh, of course the, they are. The, the, you wanted you yeah. posh bees for your backyard. <laughs> I was what was available at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very well hybridized. I will add. Right, my yeah. colleague at it's um, a bit of a Sydney Uni, Nadine yeah. Chapman, did some genetic studies. Really? And, yeah. Um, she would be good to talk to. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think if I've got any other questions. I think we've got a, a really good recap on the queen bee and the importance. Well, I think yeah, maybe that's the other thing. Like, if if there's something everyone should know about. Bees in general. What what are kind of your messages that you'd really love people to hear at the moment? Yeah, I would love to you know empower people to uh, look beyond their backyard. So if you're having a bee you have in your backyard, it's definitely foraging within at least a two kilometer radius from that beehive. So be conscious of the plants that are in your area because yeah. they may not all be uh, prolific nectar producers. Yeah. And in a drought, that's a pretty serious consideration because. Bees that don't have enough food stored can starve to death. Right. And the beekeeper needs to intervene if that's the case. Sure. Okay. So that's we're a, talking worst case scenario because yeah. we're in a drought, just yeah. trying to get real with people. So yep. they have a look at me. Do you want to talk about, just because it sounded interesting, do you want to talk about the artificial insemination programs? Yeah. So that, that feels a little bit more like Alien. I'm sure that's how Alien came about as well. <laughs> well, Anyway, we'll get yeah. into that. <laughs> so the Honeybee Genetic Improvement Program that will be running through Department of Primary Industries, University of Sydney, University of New England, and with other industry stakeholders, will be controlling selection and mating through the use of artificial insemination, which is a practice that used to uh, develop and maintain other livestock. So top milk production, for example. Um, selective breeding has been happening for hundreds of years in uh, plant breeding, animal breeding, you know, to so produce. So this is how the honeybee will, will close the gap. Is that you said light years in front of these other industries? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So we'll be able to control mating a bit better because the queen bee can mate with, you know, between at worst one drone, in which case she's not well mated, and yeah. she'll basically the workers will Run perceive eggs, that yeah. she won't be a. Um, I suppose productive queen and replace her mm-hmm. quite quickly, or she could mate with. 30 drones or more than 30 drones. Some studies say up to 70 drones. So that's a lot of different potentially um, breeding sources for those drones. So we could have a really mixed bag if we just leave that up to chance. So when you do the artificial insemination, I'm picturing, you know, it's obviously has to be something small and you've got microscopes and you've got things. When you're doing the insemination part, what's the... The number you said thirty is maybe an average for a well-mated queen. You're controlling what's going in, so you know what the temperament should be. Yes, so you're selecting both for colonies that you're going to raise queens from, um, you're going to produce queens from, and also other colonies you're going to produce drones from, because you want uh, lots of drones from colonies you have been tracking from season to season that you know have these production traits. So high honey production, resistance to diseases like chalk brood and yeah. European fowl brood. Yeah. What about, sorry, and on artificial insemination, we just, as you said, we've talked to um, Mark and Rod around um, Varroa, and I know that that's not something that's prevalent here in Australia at the moment, but 
surely is there some sort of selective breeding program that can give us a leg up if that was it to ever arrive on our shores? Yeah, so there are traits that you can select for, such as varroa-sensitive hygiene or uh, grooming behavior where the bees groom the mites off or mite-biting behavior where they damage the mite by biting a leg off and then it, you know, bleeds (laughs) to death, essentially. Um, And there are some of these programs around the world, but I would caution people that at this point, they're not a silver bullet because breeding programs are quite expensive. So we need to make sure that we're selecting for all the traits we, that I suppose make a viable industry in the Australian environment. So there are programs that we would definitely look to learn from and potentially get stock from if ever Varroa is established yeah. in Australia. But at this point, it's not as easy as, say... Yeah, just go and get some drone see stuff. See that stock in our environment. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work that way. If, I'm, if I know I have a queenless hive and I know I need to replace that queen and I know that there's a couple of different methods I can do it and I decide that I'd like to um, purchase a queen... Can I get access to your queens? These these sound like they're the best <laughs> best queens around. How how does that work? Is, yeah. is there a way you can do that? So at this stage, we're being we've got a real strict policy because what we're going to be doing is our main goal is generating data, heaps and heaps right. of data, so information um, recorded about these hives, so we can, I guess, handpick or earmark, earmark these hives that have these production traits and make these selections, so that we can sell them to those beekeepers that are mass producing. Okay. Because at this stage, uh, we just don't have the data to be maximizing those production traits. Well, maybe one day. Maybe we'll have the ultimate backyard bee. Maybe somebody will be looking into that and and exploring that as well. Awesome. Well, to to finish every episode, I've got a lot of bee jokes. (laughs) Have you ever seen how many bee jokes there are out there? (laughs) They're quite sweet. They're quite sweet. I wish someone's seen you in here and hit the table then. Okay. The last one uh, I think Jai used in the previous episode was uh, a dead set stinger. It was great. So, <laughs> what does a queen bee? Sorry, what does a queen bee do when she burps? <laughs> Issues of royal pardon. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> that's, that's quite cool. Thank you very much you, for coming in today. <laughs> you know, queen bees can actually chirp. <laughs> really? Oh, I don't know what my phone's doing. It's oh, chirping at you. Don't you know, know. be in there or? They can, they can really chip. It's like they call it queen piping. So if you, I know it's funny. When it's true. you, it's true. Look it up. All right, no worries. Thank you very much for coming today. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sure thing. Thanks for listening. Please support the show by rating us on your podcast app, subscribing and sharing with a friend. To get honey, hives or your hive serviced, contact Benjamin Jury on Instagram at The Humble Hive Collective. Special thanks to Rob Peters for the creative, voiceover and sound design on our special edition episode ads. Find out more about Rob by visiting robpeters.org. Artwork by Gene Heaton. Podcast produced by me, Jai Smith, who you can find at Jai Smith on Instagram and Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Your Good Get Better, the home for all our creative work.